Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, October 20th. My name is Jonathan. I will be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, uh, we have Doug, Elliot, and Erica. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. And uh, we have a very uh, special couple of guests uh, today. Uh, we are going to be interviewing doctors of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, uh, Linnea Snyder and James Lovinsky. Hi, Linnea and James. How are you guys Hello. doing? Hello. Good. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, Linnea and James uh, both received their training in Boston at the New England School of Acupuncture and in San Francisco at the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Their training includes herbal medicine, nutrition, and treatment modalities like cupping, uh, moxibustion, and massage. Did I say that right? Moxibustion? Mm-hmm. Or moxibustion? Yeah. Yeah. Mox, more like moxibustion. It doesn't matter. Uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to also get into some really interesting stuff about uh, a somatic response technique um, developed by Dr. Yoshido uh, Mukaino. Um, so that's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. I think it's going to be a great show. Uh, I guess just to start off, um, now we have a little bio in our show description, but uh, in, in lieu of having this discussion, will you guys just uh, tell us what uh, what got you into acupuncture? You know, it's it's uh, obviously it's an ancient discipline, but it's not widely known. Uh, what what got you interested in the first place? Uh, for me, it was I connected with a woman who was an acupuncturist, and I went in for a treatment with her. It was my first time trying acupuncture. And um, I already knew her somewhat personally and had a certain level of trust going in. But uh, as I experienced the treatment, I noticed a lot of uh, my awareness of my body changing and different parts of my body felt like they were opening up. And partway through the treatment, I had what I would explain as uh, an emotional release. It didn't feel like I wasn't experiencing pain from the needles But the way that my body was opening up, I was able to cry. And Mm. when I left the treatment room, I felt so much lighter. Mm. I felt like I was walking differently. um, And I was really fascinated with it. Anyway, I in college, I actually ended up developing my own major based on partly Peter Levine's work, philosophy, psychology, and uh, somatics. So... I'm very interested in how our bodies store emotions and trauma and pain and how acupuncture can treat that. Very cool. That's um, an interesting part of this, right? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, James. No, no, go ahead. Uh, just that crossover uh, I find really fascinating, and I think that that's something that would uh, connect a lot of people to acupuncture because mm. for the layperson, right, I mean, you know, yeah, for sure a lot of people are like, oh, they're just stick needles in you. But I think on average, even people like yeah, I heard it works, you know, okay, like hitting meridians, that makes kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but they think of it as a, uh, you know, perhaps a strictly physical kind of thing. And that connection right. with the emotional release, I think, is really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. James, I, c- I totally cut you off. Please uh, give us your, your backstory, if you don't mind. Also, I, um, I think that when I was a kid, I, I used to get uh, car sick. I got pretty bad motion sickness when I sat in the back of the car. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen these things called C-bands, but they're mm, it's like yeah. a little elastic wristband that has a little knob on it. And you put it on your wrist and it kind of, it's like an acupressure thing. So it pushes on an um, important acupuncture point that is well-studied and um, 
for a lot of people. It relieves nausea. Um, so that worked really well for me. I, it was a lot better than Dramamine because I could just put these wristbands on and I didn't get car sick and I didn't have to take Dramamine and get sleepy, you know. Um, if it was a long trip, I still did that sometimes. <laughs> take a sneeze. Um, so that was when I was a kid. And then um, in college, uh, I found this. I found a book on acupressure and I was pretty interested in meditation already by this at this point so um the book was really interesting it, it kind of gave me an introduction to more ac- acupuncture points and meridians and it had some basic um just protocols for like headache or stress or uh, what have you and um fast forward a little bit further i got out of college and um was kind of trying to figure my way out in the world and I was going through a stressful time in my life. This was probably about um, six six years ago or so. Um, and for whatever reason, um, it's at uh, one morning I had a I like fainted. I think I I just was really stressed out and it caught up to me and I fainted and um, I ended up in the hospital and didn't know what was wrong with me and um, had a barrage of tests were done and. Um, there were no conclusive findings or diagnoses. So um, I started trying to explore alternatives. And um, one of the people I went to see was a chiropractor. And in Vermont, chiropractors can practice acupuncture under their license. So he wasn't, he didn't have a lot of training in acupuncture, but he knew enough to do some basic um, stress management protocols. And he did a lot of other things, but the acupuncture, puncture was um something that really helped me and um at the time i i had been thinking about going back to school for to study psychology um so i actually have similar interests as linnea uh but because of the experience that i had with this chiropractor um i started talking to him we we were kind of friends at this point and he encouraged me to look into acupuncture school um so i went and interviewed and signed up and the rest is history, as they say. Very cool. Once I got started and started doing classes, I, I really just got hooked more and more. That's great. Very cool. The, uh, the acupressure you mentioned, I've had that done once. I've never had puncture, and I, I should. I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I have had the, the pressure done with the seeds, and I don't <laughs> remember the name of the seeds, but... Um, mm-hmm. The, the acupuncturist, so it was Liz Ross who was on our show before, and she she put them on my ear uh, mm-hmm. in a number of different places and then, like, taped them down. And then if I got some soreness, because it's mainly for my neck and back, mm-hmm. and then I could, um, you know, press on that seat, and it was pretty noticeable. I mean, it would hurt real bad for a second, and then everything <laughs> would kind of wash out and relax. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty common therapy. Um, uh, ear acupuncture was actually developed by a French doctor, um, Nogier. Mm. I'm not probably pronouncing that correctly, but, um, he, uh, I think he was inspired by, um, and you know, the, um, acupuncturists in China might disagree with me on this, but I think there's, so there's some, you know, disagreement like, well, when you look back at the ancient texts and you can see this, but anyway, in modern times, um, this doctor, uh, was sort of inspired, I think by, the Chinese medicine idea of microsystems 
which is related to ref- reflexology in the foot, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had this idea that the ear um, could be a microsystem for the whole body. And he kind of basically worked out this theory and started testing uh, different points on the ears and basically just mapped out all these points. Like, you know, this place, this area of the ear relates to the stomach and this area relates to the neck, et cetera. Um, so it works pretty, works pretty well for a lot of people, especially for uh, nervous system disorders. It like feeds back into the nervous system. Um and uh, so we use it a lot. Uh, it's also easy. You know, it's easy mm-hmm. access. It's very safe. You can use needles or you can use the little seeds. And mm. yeah, I find it very interesting that it was just kind of whether you say discovered or reintroduced or something like that by a French person. Because mm. like you yeah. know, acupuncture <clears throat> has this long history in Asia, like China specifically. So I I can see why that would be controversial and that uh, maybe the Chinese wouldn't like that so much. So <laughs> crediting this French guy with it. Sure. Because, you know, traditional, the idea of traditional Chinese medicine is kind of a brand. It's yeah. almost like marketing, yeah. Um, yeah. traditional Chinese medicine, that, that term TCM. Mm-hmm. Um, there's acupuncture from Korea and acupuncture from Japan and, mm. and um, you know, the, world, the Worsley School from England that does five-element acupuncture. So there's a lot of different streams of thought. Mm. And because the history is so long... Um, there's sort of, you know, the streams diverge and then they're brought back together at, at different times in history. Hmm. And um, the 50s after, uh, you know, basically during the time of Mao was really a time where they were trying to um, <clears throat> kind of combine acupuncture and herbal medicine and um, make streamline it... Streamline the system. Yeah, streamline the system. Standardize it so that exactly. they can make schools. Hmm. Sure. And it had a lot to do with just the healthcare needs of that country, um, yeah. trying to be efficient, and they didn't have enough doctors, so they were trying to make a system that that was yeah streamlined and made sense and was scientific and that they could test and. And that's what's known as TCM today. Yes. Okay. So then, what what you know? I'm, I'm sure there are like you could get very detailed on this answer, but like what are the differences between you know like Chinese acupuncture or Japanese acupuncture, Korean? Like, is there a lot of difference? Um, I would say there's a pretty big difference between the Japanese and the Chinese styles. Mm. So at our school in Boston, we we did study a little bit of the Japanese style, mm. and they use a lot of um, alternative diagnosis or methods for diagnosing. So They'll use the abdomen and abdominal palpation and also pulse, which the Chinese would use, mm-hmm. but they focus more on that. And the needling is very, very superficial and it's mm. very gentle. Whereas with the Chinese, it's kind of more of a no pain, no gain yeah. uh, approach. Hammer so in the needles. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it makes do, sense. Do you- I mean, later when we talk about... M test with Dr. Makino, he's coming very much out of that Japanese sort of style where the skin is part of the nervous system and you can affect the whole um, fascial system through the skin alone. Mm, sure. Right. Well, we had discussed uh, previously the idea that, um, well, and I guess it's not really an idea. Elliot, you can speak to this, the validity of this, but that the, the fascia is actually a communication system. 
and that there's some research coming out that's saying it's not necessarily always the uh, impulses coming from your brain throughout the nervous system. It's actually the fascia that has this kind of like instant communication. So it would mm-hmm. make sense that you're dealing with currents at that level. Yes. What is, uh, so a lot of people, I think, you know, if we can, again, just kind of go back and forth speaking to the lay people, um, you know, I think people can grok that there are benefits to acupuncture, but like, uh, James, you had said, you know, you had this real relief, uh, from nausea with the acupressure. And I think that's an interesting thing for people to see, you know, results to see anecdotal evidence and, mm-hmm. uh, not that it has to, you know, always be super dramatic, uh, so I don't want to be melodramatic, but I'm curious, what is the most dramatic case of recovery that you guys have seen in hmm. your practice or, or it may be in school or in hearing about accounts? Oh, we actually were just talking about that the other day. Um, I think, well, Linnea might have seen different cases than me. The most, the most dramatic case that I can remember, um, we had a classmate who had an acute condition. Um, she, she thought that she had appendicitis. Um, she had, you know, most of the classic symptoms of appendicitis just doubled over in pain in her mm-hmm. abdomen. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember, did she have rebound tenderness when yes. they tested I mean, her? You could tell watching her lying on the table how uncomfortable she was. And, and the doctor who was supervising us, we were interns in the clinic, um, you know, when he did the palpation, she was kind of jumping with yeah, the pain. Yeah, she was jumping mm-hmm. off the table. And she went to the hospital um, and she said that there were, uh, you know, there was one doctor and he palpated her and he said, well, I don't think it's appendicitis, but I'm not sure what it is. So he called in another doctor and then another doctor. So she said pretty soon there were, you know, I don't know, half a dozen or eight different people <laughs> had pressed on her abdomen, which really hurt. So she, um, uh, I think she got imaging done and some tests and they said, well, you don't have appendicitis. We don't know what it is. Everything's normal. Everything's normal. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Wow. So, so yeah, being in acupuncture school, she was one of our our classmates. Uh, she made an appointment in the clinic where we were. Um, she she was in a lot of classes with us, but I think it was on a Saturday, and she came in after having been at the hospital, I think, all night. And um, so our supervisor uh, kind of did a, a short intake, and then he um, he started. He did a little bit of palpation or abdomen, and then from the location of the pain on the abdomen, he started checking down her leg, down the mm-hmm. acupuncture meridians. Yeah, so he, he did channel palpation along the gallbladder channel, which is on the lateral side of the leg, or mm-hmm. it goes all the way down the legs and the side of the body. So he, he, and then he found, he found like a couple, he found a really tender spot and he put a needle in it. I think maybe he did two, two It might have been stomach points. and gallbladder channel. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. They... The points he found were uh, empirical points, or what what acupuncturists call osher points, which means that basically you palpate and you find a tender point in a muscle. So it's not necessarily. In my memory, a couple were osher points, which means that they were very very sensitive to the touch, and one of them specifically was the point for it was like Danan Shui. Yeah, so that's the point, which for... is the appendicitis point, and it's mm. an empirical point. Mm. Anyway, so he put he put so within the fr- the first needle that he put in, you could kind of see her visibly start to relax a little bit. Hmm. And by the time he, I think he put in maybe two or three needles in her leg, and she 
was basically the pain just stopped immediately. Mm. And she was totally amazed and we were totally amazed. Um, and he, yeah, so he explained it as a, there was some kind of blockage in the meridian system. That's mm. the Chinese medicine idea of mm. it. And the pain never came back. And, um, wow. so she was really impressed obviously. And, you know, tried to, <laughs> wanted to get into his clinic immediately to, Wow, and that was—I think—that yeah. was the last semester that he was supervising there. So he was really kind of an old-school uh, doctor. His approach was that he he palpated along the channel, and then he found he ordered in terms of most sensitive to least sensitive, and he started at the least sensitive point and worked his way towards the very most sensitive hmm. point. That's, so that's a good point. That's a that's a kind of a common um, treatment. Uh, method or, or idea, especially for um, certain schools, is that you start with the least invasive mm. treatment. And, you know, so you might treat the local area last. Mm. So in this case, he found points on her leg that relieved the pain. So he didn't, he didn't even treat locally. Wow. Yeah. And that's like something that seems really counterintuitive. And one thing that I find really fascinating about acupuncture it's like you know somebody would think well i have a headache therefore i have to do something in my head to get rid of it or you know there's a problem in my tendon in my arm therefore i have to have you know a a treatment on my arm so the idea that there would be something going on in her abdomen and he would kind of you know press along the leg along these acupuncture channels and find the points where that related to that it's really it's it's counterintuitive but it really um it, it seems very effective yeah absolutely if you think about it like what Elliot was saying about the fascial system being um, a conveyor of information mm-hmm. or a communication system in the body, you know, then it starts to make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. So, so from the perspective of an acupuncturist, um, in that particular case, how if, if someone were to ask you, you know, like, what happened? How did that work? Um, from from your perspective, how how would you try to explain that? You know, like what what do you think happened in that instance, which allowed her symptoms to disappear? I would say that he progressively opened up the channel in a way that her body wasn't going to have this response of sort of reclenching or protecting the area of pain. So by starting by the least you know, it was still a sensitive point that he started with, but it was the least sensitive point and he sort of invited her body to be able to open up and then progressively went towards the most tender point. Um, so from an acupuncture perspective, the way that we think about it is that by opening that channel, he then allowed the body to correct the flow of chi in her abdominal area so that the pain was no longer there and things were circulating better and the chi was moving properly through the channel. It's a really fascinating aspect of this. And I wonder, is it so, uh, do you think that a lot of people might get turned off just, but just by hearing the word chi, they're like, yeah, okay. Mm. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a very, is it possible to, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go. Is it possible to, um, to frame it in a, in a way of like uh, actual uh, flow of electricity in the body where somebody who's like super skeptical, you might be able to say, okay, well look at it from the point of wiring. Yes. You know? I mean, so if, if you think, well, even in Chinese medicine theory, the lungs govern the chi. And if you think about taking a breath 
and it oxygenates your blood. Mm. So it's a very real form of energy that's moving through your blood and your body. Mm. This the um, Chinese character for qi uh, relates to uh, the steam rising from a bowl of rice that's mm. been cooked. So, and the way that the the Chinese physiology, the way that they describe how qi is manufactured for the from the in the body, it's the you eat food, it combines with the air, and produces qi. So you know, it's an analog for ATP. Yeah. It's mm, the body's sure, energy, sure. both food and movement. so. In this case, you're asking like oxygen. specifically in this case, how would we describe like explain how um, the student got relief in like scientific terms? Uh, well, I guess any case really. Um, yeah. It, it could be in this specific case, or uh, yeah, I'm just wondering, um, you know, like how, I guess for the layman, how, you know, someone comes into your clinic and they don't really know anything about chi, they don't really know anything yeah, sure. about physiology. Yeah. So, you know, how, how, and is there, is there any sort of backing in, uh, what you might call mainstream science for what you're talking about, or is it completely sort of, separate from that i think it's a tricky you definitely have to go back and forth and it's interesting because i notice sometimes that i assume someone wants to hear the biomedical version and you just see their eyes glaze over when you're explaining in the clinic and they really they want to know wait but what's what when chinese medicine what does that relate to and you know what's the emotion associated with the liver (laughs) and they're hungry for this other language and this other way of understanding the body and so it is an interesting path that we walk where you want them to understand and it's also kind of can be a mystic, mystic, mystifying <laughs> way of talking about it. Um, sure. So I've, and I think James has probably done more research on how to talk about it, but it's a very in, important thing to learn how to talk, talk about it with patients for sure. And patient education is really, really crucial. I think there's been well, a lot was, of. Sorry, go ahead, Jonah. No, just that when you said it was a representative of ATP, that was kind of a mind blower for me in that moment. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I my so my personal opinion, and this is not necessarily, um, you know, approved by all acupuncturists, but huh. my personal opinion is that Chinese medicine, the language is very different because the originating theories were developed, you know, a long time ago. So at least. Um, Two to three thousand years ago are the, are the texts that that they draw from. So the language is very naturalistic and sounds very simplistic. Or you know, because of the biases of the the eighteen hundreds with anthropology, you know, we're, we're taught we have this sort of cultural bias to look down on um, naturalistic language as being primitive. Um, but actually, I think that the ancient people who developed the system were very were very keen observers and they were describing the same physiology that we describe with modern science hmm. but they were using the tools that they had at the time which was their eyes and their yeah. nose and their 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 sense of touch so when they were talking about chi and blood they were talking about physical blood that they saw um, going through the the body uh, but they, they at the time in China, um, there was this very extensive canal system that they used for uh, agriculture. So the theory that they came up with was that the blood vessels were like canals mm. in the body. Mm. So 
um, the acupuncture needles were a way to like, you know, like a lock and a canal to shift water from one canal to another. Mm. And they have different language. Sure. Like, you know, if there's a blockage in the meridian, like what happened with our friend who had, so she has, and I say meridian channel, it's inter- interchangeably, but they're all, they're imperfect translations from Chinese, of course. So she had a blockage, uh, you know, so basically it's like if you use the canal analogy, then <clears throat> the sediments are building up at the bottom of the canal mm. and the water can't flow through the canal correctly. So um, she, so by dredging the canal and clearing the blockage, then that allows the qi and blood to move, which you know, improving circulation. So one theory about how acupuncture works locally is that it improves circulation and um, it also stimulates the re- release of uh, the body's natural pain-killing hormones, you know, endorphins. Mm-hmm. I'm sure most people have heard of endorphins these mm-hmm. days. It's kind of a common term. So there's a local response um, with the endorphin release, but there's also a systemic cascade that that has been studied somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a theory about, I think it's called, um, it's basically you're blocking the, the nerves. So um, in simple terms, the, <clears throat> the local area is sending pain to the brain and there's a pain signal going to the brain and then the brain is sending signals back like, okay, so for this, this woman, she had pain in her abdomen and the brain is sending back signals so that she's guarding her abdomen. Mm-hmm. So there's this pain loop going on. You know, the signal's going from her abdomen, it's going up to her brain, and then guarding back. And, you know, she doesn't have appendicitis, so we're not sure exactly what caused it. Mm-hmm. Maybe she ate something and it disagreed with her, and she had a cramp in her large intestine or something, and it, it, mm-hmm. this pain loop got stuck. So the points that the acupuncture doctor or supervisor put in her leg or if you were using the ear acupuncture like the um, lady who came on before Jonathan basically that's you're interjecting another signal into the system Hmm. to break the pain loop sure Um, so that's that's another theory Hmm. Um, and then it basically blocks you know it blocks the pain for a certain amount of time and typically that effect will last you know, anywhere from a couple hours to maybe 36 hours mm. on average for the first treatment. Um, so anyway, so those are, that's a couple theories about how it works. Um, and I might think of some more later. Mm. This is, this is one of the reasons why acupuncture sort of fascinates me because there's just so many theories that seem to all have their merit. It seems mm-hmm. like it's working on so many different levels um, I was wondering if, if you guys had ever heard of a researcher. Her name, she she died a couple of years ago. Her name was Dr. May Won Ho. No, I, no. not offhand. Ah, okay, so so she's, she's not involved in acupuncture or anything, but she's done a lot of research. She's a biophysicist, so she did a lot of research on water and things. And uh, she, she actually recently came out with a theory. Um, I'll send you the paper later. And it was That'd talking about the... A- the acupuncture points and she 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 claims that her research has basically identified uh, many of the main meridian systems as uh, as sort of bundles of collagen mm-hmm. and so she, she, apparently they've measured that by um 
basically putting the the acupuncture needle into this collagen bundle or bundle of fibers it 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 has there's there's this whole sort of electrical property to it as well and it almost like it induces some sort of charge and Mm. how that can almost you know affect the system as well so it seems to be working on all of these different levels Mm. Uh, i don't think anyone really knows how it works but it's you know it's good nonetheless what you just said also reminds me of um, moxibustion because one theory, even in Chinese medicine, or it's not even a theory necessarily, it was just how they treated, but there are certain places where you might put a needle and it creates sort of a conduit or a place for heat to sort of leave the body where there might be too much heat. And then also they would put uh, moxa balls on top of the needle to send warmth into the body through the needle. So it acts as a way to direct the energy into the body or to pull heat out of the body where there's too much. And it's something that they actually put on the needle and, and light it, like yes. ignite it. Okay. Yes. And it's a, it's a uh, mugwort. It's a species of mugwort that's, oh. that's prepared. This is a traditional way of preparing it, but it, it ends up being this sort of like, um, it's almost like a fuzzy wool. Hmm. And so you can, it's kind of, it's quite sticky depending on the grade and you can roll it into like a ball or a cone or like a little piece of like rice or something like that. I'm, people who have had acupuncture, especially Japanese acupuncture, have probably experienced it. Mm. Yeah. So you burn it. Um, you know, it's it's uh, like infrared therapy. Yeah. Basically, I mean, there's some probably therapeutic value from the smoke too, the same way that you would burn sage or mm-hmm. tobacco to clean a room, and that's been studied. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I know there was a study specifically on the wavelengths uh, or wavelength from burning moxa, and it was a very specific therapeutic wavelength mm. that was quite penetrating. And they took, you know, it was a spectrogram or something and, and showed photos, you know, several going several hours later after the moxa to show that the heat was still oh. present in the system. Wow. Cool. What that about, makes sense um, to me from... Sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I was about to change subjects, so you go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, So I go to chiropractic very uh, pretty often, and uh, one of the one of the uh, diagnostical tests uh, is a a heat scan of your spine, Mm. and it shows where it's where it's hot or where it's not hot, and that allows them to kind of target in on the inflammation because heat is a product of inflammation, right? Definitely. Um, so I, I, if I could get kind of meta for a second, it, it, it it's interesting to me from the perspective of like. Uh, so the guy who developed standard process vitamins, mm-hmm. uh, he had this theory of what he called protomorphogens. So this is not like scientifically established per se, but his theory was that you could treat like, like treats like, right? So you, if you have problems with your liver, you can eat raw liver and then your liver mm-hmm. will use those cells right. to regenerate itself. There's cases of uh, cancer of the eye being treated with raw eyeball. You know, you can heal mm-hmm. your teeth with, with, uh, by ingesting ground up bovine teeth, like, it's kind of fascinating. It makes sense that you would treat heat with heat, you know. Hmm. Interesting. So it was kind of a high-level view, but it was interesting to me from that perspective. It keeps coming up as you look at traditional uh, modes of, of medicine and, and treatment. Uh, this like treats like kind of philosophy seems to go throughout. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask actually. I also, oh, oh, go ahead, Erica. Okay. I I wanted to ask you folks, so you've been doing this for um, 
a little bit of time, like do you notice that most of the people that come for are for coming for pain? Like it seems there's a lot of information out there about how acupuncture now is helping pain or, or you see kind of across the board as far as clients that are coming to you or do you notice that pain seems to be a big target for them, what they want to deal with? That That's, a good question. That's a good question. Um, pain is definitely one of the things that acupuncture is most well known for, pain management. And it's been uh, studied a lot for pain management. And I think uh, there was actually recently in the U.S., um, uh, there are recommendations for treating back pain. You know, it's, it's a, one of the, I don't, I don't think it's the AMA. Sorry, my, my mind's kind of blanking. But basically, it's recommendation for doctors okay this is how you like um standard of care for for low for back pain and um basically in the u.s of course we have the opioid epidemic so they're trying to find ways of treating pain without prescribing opioids and they recently changed the standard of care so that doctors should um encourage their patients to you know they refer to a chiropractic or acupuncture or massage before they prescribe painkillers and, you know, before they do surgery. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of patients come for pain. Um, there's also been some pretty important studies. And actually, it, people started coming for fertility treatments before the studies were done because um, it was just one of those things where it worked and it kind of was like a word-of-mouth thing. So um, fertility and women's health is a really big and important uh, area that, that we treat and a lot of people come for for that, especially like depending on what part of the country you're in. I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with studies that on the East Coast and the West Coast of the U.S., women tend to wait longer to have children because they have careers. So there are more women who uh, need help getting pregnant. Um, so there was a groundbreaking study a few years ago that um, we actually had a, uh, he was an MD who came to our school in Boston uh, when we were there, and he was a, uh, I think he was doing, um, anyway, he was a fertility doctor, and he met an acupuncturist, and she basically convinced him that acupuncture could help with the work he was doing, and they, I think they did some, a study together, and they found that the acupuncture improved the outcome of the pregnancy, so basically, um, I think it helps helps people get pregnant, and then it also even more helps them carry the baby to term. Um, hmm. And herbs also, Chinese herbs help a lot. That's a big area in Chinese medicine is um, women's health. Um, we also get, let's see, uh, those are those are two really main things. So then you have like breakdowns of you know low back pain, knee pain, hmm. migraines. Um, of course, in scientific terms, we want to break it down and study each thing. Um, I think that uh, treating nausea is a big thing. Mm. So, especially with chemotherapy. Yeah, patients. yeah. Mm. So chemotherapy patients, you know, that's that's a place where acupuncturists can really help. Um, is helping them, helping to mitigate the side effects of of chemotherapy and radiation. Yeah. Um, some of the fatigue and nausea and uh, lack of appetite pain. and pain, you know. So I, that's another big area. 
Go ahead, Monet. I would I would agree that we I see a lot of referrals for fertility and pain. If you're looking for maybe a percentage, I would say maybe 40% of the patients that I've, in my experience of treating in the last couple of years, have been pain. Hmm. It's probably a little bit higher for me, but I um, I studied Chinese massage twina also. So, hmm. you know, to some extent, the patients that you see, you know, <laughs> depend on what you're, I don't know, it's a Who funny Who you thing. are and yeah. what your interests are and... Do you ever see anybody, like, I mean, you mentioned when you got into acupuncture, like the reason for you to get in, getting into it was kind of having this sort of emotional release type um, thing. Have you actually encountered that with any of the people you've been treating or do, does anybody come to you because of that? Because they've had some kind of traumatic experience and want to deal with it? Definitely. Um, I've treated, I've treated two cases specifically that stand out, um, one was a trauma victim and one was a patient who had really severe anxiety attacks. Mm. And, um, I saw especially good results with the anxiety patient, but I saw great results with both. Um, and the anxiety patient, I did use a combination of herbal and acupuncture Mm -hmm. and it did get to the point where, there was a specific person who especially triggered her anxiety mm. attacks and it got to the point where she was able to actually interact with that person and not have an anxiety attack. Wow. So I was pretty... It was a short period of time too, wasn't it? Yeah, she only came in for about four or five treatments and she was very diligent about the herbs and came in, you know, um, week after week. It wasn't a long spread of time between treatments, so... I think that it effectively was able to kind of change the balance in her nervous system. And, and with the herbs, she was able to take those daily. So it really helped carry over the effect of the treatments. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what about actually having emotional like releases on the table? Like even accidentally or like, you know, if the person didn't even come in for like an emotional thing, but just by treating them, they kind of have that issue. Yeah. I think more, I've only had one, one or two people actually, you know, weep a little bit on the table about something Mm. that you can kind of see it coming up in their chest and they start breathing differently. And then they, you know, but, um, often I'll hear about people after the treatment, something comes up for them to process that kind of thing. That's fascinating. There are specific treatments that, uh, one of our professors in, uh, San Francisco kind of specializes in that sort of thing. And he's worked out a system yeah. or he uses a system. I'm not sure if it's his or not, um, but it's designed to, to work on emotional release and wow. releasing trauma, you know, releasing attachments, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a progression of treatments that you work through external <laughs> dragons, internal dragons. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the, they're called the eight extraordinary vessels, and that's what you treat typically for an emotional, emotional issues. Mm. And so they, they're um, more deeply seated in the body, whereas the meridians and channels are more on the surface, Mm. and there are certain vessels. And so there are combinations of points that help you treat those vessels in the body. So that's much more esoteric. And if you think about the, the meridians that everyone knows about as canals of water going out into the fields, then mm. the extraordinary vessels are like the reservoirs of the body. Mm. You know, there's, there's one, there's one guy who tried to work it out. Um, 
materialistically. And he said, oh, yeah, okay, so the, the Sea of Blood, the Chiang Mai, that's the aorta. Mm. And, you know, the Ran Mai is the Vena Cava going back to the heart, mm. which, you know, I maybe there's some like, okay, when they were, they worked out this theory and then they, they saw the, you know, guy on the battlefield and they're like, oh, yeah, look at the... <laughs> um, big main thoroughfare of blood but i think uh you know they're more they're more about spiritual issues and right um there's a whole set of symptoms that are attached to to them Hmm. that you look for as as basically uh okay this person has something going on with their renmai because they have these symptoms ah that's pretty fascinating yeah yeah that's kind of like the uh probably has something to do with the wall that's between kind of the esoteric and the practical, the scientific, you know, yes, well, some, it, some of these things like you don't have a good, you know, database explanation for it necessarily. Oh, definitely. There's so much mystery. And I think that part of what happened with the standardization of the medicine and becoming TCM was that anything that seemed either superstitious or spiritual was taken out of the medicine. Mostly. Mm, yeah. There's very little. I mean, you can find some people who focus on that. Or in, in our case, we had this one teacher in San Francisco who that was his specialty doing extraordinary vessel treatments. But um, it's not oh. super common. Hmm. I wonder, do you guys find that it's uh, dovetails like with chiropractic at all? Because I know for me, like uh, aside from the obvious, like you don't want to be inflamed. It's very important for me to keep my inflammation down because if if it if it goes up, then it will um, irritate, you know, subluxations that I have and, and, and kind of push things back out of place. You, my question to you, if I can put this clearly, do you think that in more cases acupuncture would kind of lead somebody into chiropractic and allow that adjustment to be more effective? Or have you ever noticed that you give somebody an acupuncture treatment and let's say they have a, a, a vertebrae or something, maybe their shoulder is a little out of place and the body will actually like put it back into place? because now it's communicating correctly with itself? I would say yes. I've had that experience personally, too, where I've had a treatment and then I've adjusted myself hmm. moving cool. after the treatment. Yeah, and I think it's, sure. it's kind of both, you know, acupuncture. So tra- traditionally, Chinese medicine, it, there's a lot more to Chinese medicine than acupuncture. That's what's most well-known in the West. But traditionally... Um, the, the Chinese, and this is the same still this way in China. So in China, um, orthopedic surgeons, for instance, are often, we, we had one of our supervisors at school. He, so he was an orthopedic surgeon. He did acupuncture. He was also trained in the Chinese sports massage, Tuena, hmm. and he did chiropractic manipulations and what they call bone setting. Hmm. Um, so you kind of get the, and, and herbs. He was trained in herbal medicine. So you get the whole package from him. So if you wow. went in and you had a knee problem, you know, he might start with, okay, let's try herbs and I'm going to give you some corrective exercises like physical therapy and um, do some massage and see if we can work on it that way and then progressively work up to uh, knee surgery. But so uh, um, so basically I think that acupuncture, yeah, acupuncture works more on the soft tissues. So the, mm-hmm. like the way you describe with the shoulder, you know, if you had things going on with your back, you know, oftentimes we can we can palpate and and find those areas the way that a chiropractor would. But instead of doing an adjustment, we would try needles and try to relax sure. the soft tissues. And like you said, see if it goes back into place. And the needles, because they improve circulation, can help reduce inflammation. 
uh, sort of trigger healing response. Um, so oftentimes, um, especially in San Francisco, there are a lot of chiropractic offices where, or, or acupuncture offices. It's usually the other way around. Like a chiropractor will have an acupuncturist in their office. Um, and there are starting to be more and more offices where there'll be a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and a naturopath or a nutritionist or a dietitian or something like that. Mm. Um, sure. or a nurse, you know, to do blood draws and that sort of thing. Um, but we refer back and forth a lot with chiropractors and it's, it's really a complimentary hmm. system, I think, uh, in a lot cool. of ways. Yeah. I think with more chronic conditions, they're really complimentary. Um, in my case, because I have a yoga practice, I'm a little bit more flexible. My jo- joints tend to be actually towards hypermobile, hmm. um, and I have to work on strengthening. It's, um, easier for me to have an adjustment just from acupuncture where someone who has a chronic condition, they have this really much more deeply held uh, muscle pattern and it's harder to release that and have an adjustment. So if you, if an acupuncturist can help open up the soft tissues, then the chiropractor's work is easier and is more likely to hold. Mm. Yeah. That's a really nice way to put it. That's um, what what you were just saying about how you know in some cases maybe just just having an acupuncture treatment can essentially uh, you know, correct the issue. Um, that that's just amazing because it it kind of uh, what it I guess the way that it comes across to me is that the body has its own sort of innate sense of intelligence. It knows what it needs to do, and sometimes it just needs a little push. And perhaps by you know increasing the flow of information, the flow of energy, and how, I guess that would translate to the flow of oxygen and the flow of nutrients and the uh, you know detoxification of metabolic waste and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can provide that that little push, then I guess I guess the body knows what it needs to do. Yeah, mm. um, and sometimes that you know, that, that can be sufficient. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. One of the things we talked about at the M-Test seminar that we were at last weekend with Dr. Mokaino, he really was, we were asking, somebody asked a question about, you know, okay, what do you do when, um, you know, you know, somebody has a really chronic issue and you're not getting quick results. And he basically said that, you know, the body compensates for, things and it tries to protect itself and the longer the problem the more chronic it is the deeper it affects deeper and deeper levels and layers in the body so you know when you're first injured it might be more like on the skin level and then it starts to affect the muscles you know so there are muscular compensation patterns and maybe they're just in the extremities at first but then they move into the spine and the hips Mm. you know so then you see people who have you know, their hip imbalance and, you know, they say oh, one leg shorter than the other. Mm. Usually the, the legs are actually the same length if you measure them, mm. but they appear to be different lengths because the hips are misaligned. And typically they will be, you know, if the hips are off then the spine's off and the shoulders are off. So um, at that point it's in, you know, it's in the joints and the bones. And so he said, he said, that chiropractic can be very helpful for that because you're going directly to the place where the, um, you know, the body is compensating deep at the deep level. And that basically when you're doing the soft tissue manipulations, like what we were just talking about and 
the way that you uh, so elegantly described it, Elliot. Um, it it also affects it indirectly. So it it's he he said he thinks it's safer. Mm. It takes a little more time, um, but it can be safer unless you're a really good chiropractor, basically, mm. which many are sure. very good. Safer to start with the soft tissue and then go exactly. To the bone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for someone for someone like us, obviously, if, who's not trained that way, it's a lot yeah. safer. And some chiropractors are trained to to manipulate the soft tissue somewhat. I think personally for me, that's that's the kind of chiropractor that I gravitate towards because I know that I really need that sort of softening before I can receive an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, you know, I think it's a, it's a big problem because there, I, I completely am on, on board with chiropractic acupuncture with all these therapies, but there are a lot of people who may practice uh, recklessly or carelessly and you hear stories about you know such and such a guy went to the chiropractor and then had an embolism in the parking lot you know and so you know it is something to be careful about i think because just because like there's careless medical doctors too Um, yeah so like you said it's important to kind of audit somebody that you're going to go see and make sure that that they're very knowledgeable but i don't want to divert too much into chiropractic uh so uh, you had mentioned the M test therapy, the somatic response technique. Can we get into that? Because that sounds really yeah. fascinating. What, sure. If you could just give us an overview of, of what it is. Sure, I'll I'll start. Um, basically, Dr. Makino developed a system of stretches, and there are groups of stretches that stretch each meridian consecutively. So you kind of move through. First, there's a series for the lung and large intestine. So you stretch the upper body portion of the lung and large intestine channels. um, And then, I mean, actually that channel, you only use the upper body. But you go along and stretch. There are stretches for the arms, the neck, the legs. And as you're going, you have the person rate their pain So if a stretch causes them pain, it actually doesn't matter where the pain is located. What matters is that stretching that particular meridian causes pain. So that would indicate that somewhere along that meridian, there's some kind of blockage or, you know, sticky tissue. Something is not moving and gliding properly in the body. And so then we would treat that meridian based on, not based on where the pain is, but based on the meridian that's causing, that's being stretched and then therefore is causing pain somewhere in the body. Yeah, so I would just jump in and I'm going to add that um, Dr. Makino, uh, Chinese acupuncture, or sorry, Japanese acupuncture, I think we mentioned earlier, um, is much more works on the skin level. Um, so they... He, he's an MD and he's, he's really a scientist. They've done a lot of studies um, at the university where he works. But basically the way that he explained it to us is that um, through a translator is that the skin, uh, the skin has a lot, uh, has a really important role to play in the body's um, movement patterns, proprioception, um, the felt sense and sense of balance. Mm-hmm. So, um, your the system that he developed, the M test, is based on all of the traditional acupuncture ideas of meridians and acupuncture points, and it incorporates ear acupuncture and scalp acupuncture if it's needed, and um, you know works along the spine. But the really 
interesting and novel idea, in my opinion, that he developed is this uh, movement-based diagnostic and treatment system that Linnea was describing. Um, and it's dovetails pretty nicely into Western orthopedic tests. Mm. The, the movements are pretty similar. You're basically moving joints through the typical planes of movement, you know, testing the front of the body, testing the back of the body, testing the sides of the body with bending and twisting motions. And he actually developed it by working with athletes. So he wasn't even working with people who necessarily had pain. Like some of them had injuries and they were like, oh, you know, can you fix me so that I can run in the race in an hour or tomorrow, you know? So he needed to come up with something that could get quick results. And, but he also, you know, athletes are totally obsessed with performance. Hmm. So, um, he ended up working with, uh, they teach all the athletes at their school how to basically self-diagnose and treat with the system. So before they run a race or, you know, swim in a meet, they run through these 30 movements and check for restrictions or asymmetries in their body. You know, they don't necessarily have pain, but maybe their range of motion in their right shoulder is different than their left shoulder. So then they say, okay, well, which part of my body is affected by this? Is it my you know, I'm raising over my head. So it's my, the back of my arm and they can work along the acupuncture meridian, work along the, the muscles and, uh, stretch it and, and improve their movement, um, so that they can perform better at their sport. Um, yeah. So he, from there, he came up with the order that he likes people to use as they, so they find their problem area. Say you're raising your arm above your head, you find restriction in the back of your arm And you might start with, or he recommends starting with the large muscle group. So it would probably be the tricep in this case. So he would recommend that you palpate your tricep and you kind of look for an area where you're, oof, ah, that's very tender right there. Or geez, that feels sticky. Or there's a nodule there that really doesn't feel good when I press on it. How can I help that to soften and it might be sort of a rolling between the fingers or some kind of massaging. And then you find, you pinpoint the sensitive tender area and try raising your arm again, see if there's any change. And on top of that, after you've sort of identified where in the large muscle group there's an issue, there are a combination of points that you would test that are based on the channel. And we would have to get into detail about acupuncture theory a little bit here because they're they're called mother and son points and you check the mother point and you check the son point you see which one works better mm. um so there's a lot of comparing there's a lot of test and retest and it's it's instant results um if it, if it works then mm. it's it's you know right away you know it's a kind of a no bullshit uh, mm. system if you know mm. what i mean and then mm. you progress through um a series of of uh, possible treatments and you keep testing the movement and and hoping for results. And oftentimes um, he actually cautioned us against over-treating people. Mm. So, you know, if you try to do too much and this actually happened at the conference the other day, you know, somebody got over-treated one day and then they came back the next day and they're like, oh man, you know, 
during the he day. He fell back, I, went into spasm. Right. He was lying in bed and couldn't fall asleep because he'd uh, been overtreated and his body was just trying to protect itself because just it was trying to opening up. It, and, yeah. and it was too, too much, much all at once. Yeah. yeah. So well, it, it it's very subtle on the one hand. And at the same time, all these subtle adjustments add up and the body can kind of freak out if you go too far. So typically if someone comes in and their pain is an 8 out of 10 and it's, woof, it's like very painful to move, you, if it went down to a four, you would probably stop there because mm. their pain cut in half. That's, yeah. that's a significant amount of reduction, and you wouldn't want to keep chasing the pain down till you get to a one. Right. It's sure. safer to it, change it over time. The uh, the spasms that you mentioned, do you think that uh, – I realize you may not know the intimate details of that case. But do you think that, that was like the um, – uh, uh, basically just uh, giving the body too, in, too much information to deal with, or do you think there was possibly some kind of like a – like a tear or something that happened that would cause that? No. It, it, I think it was too much information. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's trying too hard to fix itself, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, if you think about or it. Or like and, rebounding because too much happened at once, kind of a. Uh, sure, sure. And pain, pain sometimes can be caused from muscles, like hypertonicity in the muscles. So the muscles are too tense for a long period of time. They build up um, – metabolites, lactic acid, and so forth. And, you know, it hurts because the body, the muscles tense all the time. So if you think about somebody that has imbalances, left to right imbalances, say, so they walk in a certain way, maybe they sprained their ankle when they were 10 years old. Everybody sprained their ankle or broken their ankle or something like that. So maybe they broke their ankle and, and they, while their ankle was healing, they were limping or they were on crutches and it changed their gait, you know, and then mm. they're, their hips are aligned differently after that. And because of that, you know, the soft tissues work to hold this misalignment, this unnatural alignment. So then if you work with the person and you work with their skin, which is part of the nervous system, and you use the acupuncture points, you just touch the points, and then there are these little tiny, um, like, Band-Aid stickers, basically, that you put on the points, and you teach your your showing the body how to move differently by giving it feedback through this information system in the skin and the acupuncture meridians. So you, you're showing it to move differently. And if you go too far and you get all of these muscles to relax and open the body all the way up, you know, and it's too fast, and then they go home and, and they're like, wow, I feel great, you yeah. know, and maybe they they walk, maybe this guy walked back to his hotel because he felt so good and mm. he walked a little too far and some of those muscles that are not used to being used in this new way mm. he is like overdid it and then they just tighten back up yeah sure you know or they tire they tire maybe they tired easily because mm. they're not used to being used that way mm. um so it's not that it's it's not that it's necessarily dangerous mm. i don't think but more just that you know yeah, our bodies need a certain amount of tension mm. to, to, you know, do our daily lives. And mm. We don't mm. necessarily, the goal isn't necessarily complete tension-free. Right. It's, right. it's having the, the balance that you need. This, um, this technique, uh, if I understand what you said correctly, it, it, it sounds really interesting because it, it seems like from what you've said that it can be individualized. Uh, for each different person, um, yes. like you said about going through the different stages of of the the feedback, um, and it's yeah, it, I guess 
in Western medicine, <clears throat> doctors traditionally will, you know, look at someone's condition um, and then they will go to a, a book which tells them exactly which protocol that person must follow. Yeah. <laughs> and there's mm. practically zero room for individuality here. Right. And so <laughs> I think it's, 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 it's cool that you guys or that the, this doctor's come up with a, you know, a sort of method whereby you can see what works by testing it and, you know, mm -hmm. continuing to test until you can refine it to such a point where y you can maybe be confident that that is going to help that person, you know, rather than potentially doing, giving them, you know, wasting their time or, or potentially causing harm, you know? Right. It was actually amazing to watch Dr. Makaino, you know, he's, he's an older doctor and he still has so much curiosity about, okay, is this going to work or is this going to mm. work? And he's so into solving the puzzle of each person's individual body and very open to trying a different point once he's exhausted the points that he typically uses and mm. figuring out crossing patterns. And um, it's very subtle. But even in my experience, I, ha I haven't treated a lot of patients with M-tests, but I did treat a few. And you can really tell the in a case that worked really well for me, I noticed, you know, I put my finger on the point and you use pretty gentle pressure, but you can already feel as you press, press on the skin layer, the as the person initiates the movement to do the stretch, it almost feels like when the point's going to work, the patient moves in a different way right from the beginning. Hmm. You can tell that different, the muscle is either engaging in a different way or from a different place, or it's originating in a different part of the body and the arm lifts and, you know, hmm. they, they either have better range of motion or they start smiling and it's like pain-free. <laughs> you guys should tell the story about the pictures actually, like the oh, yeah. example uh, about the pictures, because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so Dr. Makaino works at a university. Of course, they have sports teams. And um, one of the studies they did that's in his book um, was with baseball pitchers. Mm. And they were basically studying how they could improve performance with this uh, M-test system by fine-tuning the person's movement. Um, so what they did is they, they got, um, I think they're called, uh, I think it's called e EEG, maybe, when you mm. measure the electrical activity of the muscles. Uh, yeah, EKG yeah. or EEG? E I think EKG is with the heart. Oh, that's the heart. Yeah, you're right. So EEG. So basically, they put these uh, they put these sensors on the biceps, triceps, and the different heads of the deltoids, which are in the, the shoulders, like that kind of triangular muscle. Biceps are the, the front of your arm. Triceps are in the back of your arm. And then I think the trapezius, which is the muscle that goes from your shoulder up your neck and uh i think that's it so basically the muscles in your shoulder and upper upper arm and so they had a um baseline that they did with the with the picture it was just a preliminary study so i think um so they had a baseline study where the pitcher went in got the sensors on and went through his usual warm-up routine and they measured the pitching speed and they showed us these graphs, and you could see basically that the pitching speed, you know, he starts out at a kind of slow speed, and, and over the course of the 60 or 100 pitch session, the, the speed of the pitches kind of gradually comes up, and then 
tops off. And uh, most of the shoulder muscle activity is kind of all over the place, pitch to pitch. Um, but the activity in his arm is really interesting because the deltoids and the biceps, initially, there's a lot of activity when the pitching is slow. And, and as the pitcher warms up and the pitch speed comes up, it correspond, correlates with the deltoid and bicep activity kind of dropping off. Mm. So basically, as the pitcher warms up, his arm muscles, his arm is kind of getting out of the way. It's basically mm. just transferring the force from his spine and his his big muscles and his biceps and shoulders, and it's just kind of whipping through, and, and the pitch is coming out. So that's the baseline, and then the next day or a couple days later, uh, a week later, whatever they did. Um, and you know, if anyone's interested in this, I'd be happy to try to find the study. Mm. Um, but the, the, so the up, they ran them through the M test and then did the same thing. But what they found is that basically, I think basically from the first pitch, his first pitch was as fast as the fastest pitch mm. in the previous session. After he'd warmed up however many times. And his, yeah, exactly. And his bicep and tricep activity was, you know, at the bottom from the get-go. So it, it basically, he didn't have to warm up. The the M test took the place of the warm-up. the warm up, mm-hmm. And yes. he could just jump right into full-speed pitching. Wow. It was interesting because, you know, you're looking at this graph and the, the points are really all over the place initially and then with the M test they all come together which signifies that there's less antagonistic uh, motion in the muscles so they're working more efficiently and uh, the system, the whole system is more coherent and it's communicating better Um, he he told us another story about uh, swim meet and it's basically like some kind of intercollegiate like it's like the Olympics but um I don't really understand it because I wasn't a uh, college athlete, but it sounds like there are different sports teams from different countries that come to Japan to compete. So there are Japanese teams like from his university, there are American teams, there are people from Europe. And apparently there was, um, it was a swim meet, I think, or or it was either, I think it was a swim meet. So um, one of the athletes was from a South American country and she came by herself um, she didn't, you know, she didn't have trainers with her and stuff. And he, you know, the Americans and some of the other teams had all these, you know, athletic trainers and stuff with them. And so one of his students volunteered to work with this swimmer as her trainer. And he, the way he did it is to do M test. And, um, he kind of taught her how to, um, how to do it on herself to self treat. And he helped her through it. So, um, she apparently in the qualifying round, she placed fifth, I think. And it was like the best time that she had ever swum. Wow. You know, it was like her best time ever. And then in the actual race, she placed second and again, broke her own record and wow. kind of beat all the Americans, blew everybody out of the water. <laughs> um, wow. you know, it's an anecdotal result, but she was thrilled and, yeah. and, um, they were thrilled of course, and very proud. You know, so. One last thing I'll say about M-Test that I think is really interesting that James was just starting to touch on is that in terms of the self-care, what they'll do is if you have a stretch that causes pain and you can identify which channel um, is being stretched, then you can use 
other stretches that don't cause pain but also stretch that channel so you can help the body help that channel to open without repeating the painful movement and that's a something you can take home with you and and do these stretches to help open that restricted channel Mm. yeah that's another nice thing about the system is that you can um that i like is being able to teach people and and um give them some power to you know give them something give People want to be able to help themselves and have their own tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We uh, we do have a question from one of our chatters. Um, uh, she asks, uh, "Have the guests heard of inserting acupuncture needles into trigger points rather than acupuncture points?" Does that make sense to you? Guys? Yes, yeah, definitely, absolutely. A pretty classic example is there's a, a trigger point on the top of the tricep. Uh, sorry. Um, I was just talking about the tricep earlier (laughs) on top of the trapezius and it basically corresponds with an acupuncture point gallbladder 21. And basically I would say that often when an acupuncturist needles, the point, they wouldn't necessarily be trying to trigger the muscle, but it's quite easy to manipulate the needle in such a way that you do trigger the muscle and you can feel the vesiculation and release the muscle will kind of clench and then relax and basically like jumps it twitches yeah yeah it kind of, i think i've experienced that before it's like a like a wobble almost yeah like yeah it, yeah yep huh. so um, that would be would the that... difference between oh i'm sorry like a, a trigger <clears throat> point then is something that that stimulates that whereas an acupuncture point is more associated with the meridian and the energy flow there's some it, correspondence there, okay. There's some correspondence, I think, and trigger points are different than motor points. Um, so muscles have motor points, which is where um, the nerve innervates the muscle. And if you stimulate that point, then it can make the muscle jump. Mm. And then trigger points um, was, I think that concept was developed by a doctor named Janet Travell, if my mind is um, cooperating with me. Mm. And she initially used... Uh, hypodermic needles, I think, oh, wow. um, and she would inject like saline solution or lidocaine into these trigger points. And a, a trigger point, I haven't studied it a lot, but my understanding is that trigger points happen in muscles. Again, it's kind of these long-standing holding patterns. So there can be an emotional um, correlation. You know, there can be trauma stored in it, or it could be, you know could be structural for some people, but basically what happens is that the muscle fibers um, get kind of bound up and stuck, and it, it creates a nodule in the muscle. Um, sometimes they're quite small. Sometimes they can be larger, and there's usually a, a referral pain pattern. So, you know, if you have a trigger point in your neck or your upper back, it can refer up onto your head, for instance, and cause headaches. Um, so finding these trigger points and using an acupuncture needle. Acupuncture needles, of course, are much thinner than a hypodermic needle um, just by getting it. Sometimes you can treat it with acupressure, but the needles, by needling into the little nodule, can cause it to release. Hmm. And it can feel a lot like when you needle a motor point. It can kind of jump and release. Um, And so... Those are kind of like the osher points, what Japanese, what what uh, acupuncturists would call osher points. You like feel around for a nodule or tender point, um, 
it's based on modern anatomy and we did learn some of some trigger point needling and some motor point needling the motor points it's a similar idea the muscle is overworked uh, <clears throat> hypertonic stuck in this you know super tense um state which all of us have probably experienced in your you know upper back and neck mm-hmm. from sitting at a computer or driving too much and you start getting that forward head posture mm. and your shoulders start creeping up around your ears, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, I can't, and you just can't relax your shoulders, you know? Mm. And sometimes you can tense, you tense it and and pull your shoulders up and tense and then let it down and relax. Mm. And that's another way of treating it. So you're basically like putting even more tension into the system and then relaxing it. Yeah, I think that's actually what the needle can do too, is that the muscle's already really tight and then it tenses even more and then it can't actually tense anymore. So it has to go somewhere and it actually has to relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, that technique for stretching before. And I can't remember the, the name of the guy who said this, but it was, um, it, you know, when you're just doing regular, so let's say I'm stretch, not even yoga, just stretching on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you reach a certain point where it feels like you've gone about as far as you can, like without hurting yourself, of course, you actually tense that muscle for like 30 seconds and then relax yes. again. And you find you get more, uh, motion through that yeah i've experimented with that i think it's very effective i can't remember the in jargony term the scientific the name for it right now but <laughs> hmm. um so so, so trigger points some, sorry oh so, you may ahead. have been about to answer my question I was just going to ask um would you say generally the acupuncture points are kind of set like they're in this spot and that's where that point is and trigger points can kind of move and shift depending on the tension in the muscles yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there can be an acupuncture point. An acupuncture point is where you put an acupuncture needle. But also right. an acupuncture point will really vary depending on the area of the body we're talking about. So, for example, right. there's a acupuncture point spleen 10, which is on the thigh, on the quad muscle, on the, you know, inside of the thigh. medialis. Vastus medialis. And, it, you know, the, the area is probably the size of a quarter, maybe a little bit bigger. And then if you look at the wrist and we're talking maybe heart seven where there's really, really fine area and you have to be medial to this tendon and you don't want to needle the vein. I mean, we're talking about tiny, tiny pinpoint of a area. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's the traditional, the most well-known traditional system of acupuncture with the 12 channels and lung meridian, large intestine meridian, stomach meridian. So those, those locations are all fairly fixed. Um, there's variation from person to person as, you know, with any anatomical system. So any model that we have, it's a set model, but when you apply it to a living person, the model never fits exactly. Um, there are alternative systems of acupuncture points that are mapped out uh, the master tongue system, for instance, is a totally different tradition than the um, acupuncture points that made it into TCM. And acupuncture for a long time was they were family systems and it was secret and really closely guarded, you know, because if you have a system with acupuncture points, like this M test, for instance, you know, if, if you worked out that M test system and you could offer people you know, basically instantaneous relief and improvement and range of motion, you know, 
you could get quite famous and make a lot of money. People would be coming to see you, so you wouldn't want to just tell everybody about it necessarily. Um, sure. So you would keep it kind of secret. Um, so there were a lot of different family systems um, that have acupuncture points in different places. So this other system, Master Tongue, which is actually quite popular among a lot of acupuncturists, it adds more points. There are more points all over the place. Um, so those are all fixed. And then depending on the acupuncturist, many acupuncturists will use some of the fixed points <clears throat> and then some of these so-called Asher points, which are, um, you know, empirical points that you find on the patient through palpation. There's there's a lot of palpation that goes on with acupuncture and with a good acupuncturist. You, you really get used to almost seeing with your fingers. You can mm. feel down into the body and you start to be able to feel areas that where the connective tissue is inflamed. It feels sticky or gummy or, you know, ropey. There's these specific kind of feelings that you can start to really, you know, you know, and, you know, there's also you press on a point and the person winces, obviously. Mm. Um, but so typically... Uh, yeah, so there's some correspondence with the motor points <clears throat> and there's some correspondence with trigger points as well. I think trigger points are more, um, there are common places where they occur in muscles. Some muscles are more likely to get them and they're more likely to occur in certain places. So uh, Dr. Travell and, and other um, people um, who have followed her line of thought have kind of worked out their maps. They're kind of like acupuncture mm. meridian maps, you know, where you this is where you look for trigger points in this these muscles, and this is the kind of pain referral pattern that it has. So, you know, if the person's having headaches on the, the temp, you know, on their temples, then check in their mm. trapezius and look for these nodules. And actually, in some ways, that's pretty similar to to acupuncture. Um, because some of the uh, channel palpation and channel diagnosis systems, like what our supervisor used on the young lady with the abdominal pain that we talked about earlier, you know, he knew to look on the leg in on her lower leg, you know, on the front of her um, shin, because that's a traditional area where you look for painful points when somebody has that specific type of abdominal pain. Um, sure. So, so it's, it's, it's new trigger points are new in that they're based on modern anatomical knowledge mm. and it's a different system than they teach in acupuncture school, but they're also, there's some similar similarities and, and overlap. So I hope I answered your yeah. question with that kind of long rambling. Totally. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I asked is, and, and I'm, I don't want to make this about my, my own issues, but maybe anecdotal evidence and, and or anecdotal case and some listeners might have a similar thing. I have these spots along my spine where uh, if you just barely touch it on either side, it, the whole my whole back will twitch, almost jump, hmm. but it's not it's not painful. There's like literally no pain involved. It's it's very strange. So it's just a contraction without pain. So I, I'm wondering that's the reason I ask because they seem to move. You know, so it'll be here in one day and there the next. And I wondered if that was m probably more related to the, you know, the inflammatory response and whatever trigger points might be uh, developed from that. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But, of course, I'm not asking you to diagnose me over the air. <laughs> 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 no, you're going to have to go down yeah. to Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really fascinating. I, uh, speaking to the uh, the theory behind the M test, um, have you guys ever tried or are familiar with hanging? Just hanging by your arms. Yes. Okay. Oh, hanging by your arms. Oh, I know yeah, more well, of like inversion therapy type. Okay. But I no hanging by your arms. I'm not very familiar with that. It was suggested to me by by my chiropractor to uh, to basically just hang for a few minutes at a time, and uh, it's it's incredible. I, it's like a, mm-hmm. a, oh, cool. it's my new thing that I'm obsessed with. Um, Sweet. So it, I mean, I just from personal experience, I think it feels really great. It can take the, relieve the pressure, especially if you've been sitting a lot on your sacrum area and open sure. up your back and open up your shoulders. And- Is it kind of like a Monty Python scene where they like you know strap you in and then raise you up and. Some kind of, a, I mean, you have to be able to get out of it, of course. But uh, I have uh, I have one of those chin-up bars that kind of rigs up at the top of a doorway, uh-huh. um, and then I have one of those long, a set of these really long uh, exercise elastic bands that are like two inches thick, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll run, I'll run one of those bands through the the chin-up bar, and then loop my hands through either end of the band, and then just let myself come down until my butt hits the floor. And I'm, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, you know. I, like I can still stand up from that position, but I can also relax and allow the the pressure to come onto my arms and my shoulders. And if I do that for a few minutes, I mean, I can feel muscles moving and like mm. working themselves out. It's it's pretty wild. And I've heard, yeah, that sounds um, great. That it it can be used to treat bursitis and other shoulder conditions. Um, and I guess like the evolutionary theory behind it is that you know as uh, uh, if you give credence to that, that that chimpanzees are you know swinging and using their arms as like the primary method mode of, of moving around and taking force, mm. uh, and that now we are in this like you said sitting in front of computers or sitting in cars and just generally being less active, um, that we're not getting that you know I, for lack of a better phrase evolutionary requirement for force on our shoulders. Hmm. So I, I don't know much more about it than that, but I will say it, it seems to help me. Um, Sounds like so, fun too. Yeah. yeah, it can be. <laughs> I mean, it can also be like you find a spot, like like you said with the M test, where uh, you know you'll start to hang and you you letting pressure kind of onto the arms and the back, and then it hit. It's just like fire. It's like somebody mm-hmm. stuck a needle in your back, you know. And so I'll hold mm-hmm. that for a minute, and I can feel it loosen, and then I feel that wobble in the muscle where it's like bum bum oh. bum bum bum. And it kind of twitches mm. back and forth and then it lets go. Um, yeah, it's an interesting process. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a great self-treatment. It seems to work so far. We'll find out. <laughs> um, so when you said inversion therapy, now my um, <clears throat> uh, my brother-in-law does the inversion table thing, and he finds that helps him a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys use that in your treatment at all, or have you ever done it? Oh, I more use it in my life as a yoga uh, teacher and practitioner. I have a what's called an ohm gym, and I can hang upside down in it, and I can do certain stretches, and um, I really enjoy that. I tried cool. one of those inversion tables one time, and um, I didn't know how to use it, and I, like, strapped my feet in and went upside down, and then I couldn't figure out how to get out. <laughs> and, and my friend thought it was hilarious and just kind of left me there, like, walked out of the room. <laughs> I was stuck there for a few minutes, and that's my only experience with it. Um, But I did feel great when I got up because of all the blood rushing to my head. So sometimes I do, like, just legs up against the wall, Mm. you know, especially at the end of a long day, been on your feet all day or something like that. Just, uh, you know, lay down, put your butt up against the wall and get your feet up the wall. And, um, 
you know, because of the way our veins work, it's, it's really a great way to, you know, drain the blood and lymph fluid out of your feet and your legs and get more oxygen into your brain and, uh, <laughs> give all those veins in your legs a break <laughs> for a few minutes <laughs> and you feel good when that's, you get up, you know, that's interesting. So you was like, just to get the blood moving through your legs, you wouldn't necessarily say like, get, I mean, obviously walking is beneficial, like get out for a walk, but you would also want to do this where you're letting the blood come out of the legs. Yeah. So, um, anatomically the veins in your leg, they have, uh, basically valves every so often. They're like one way valves. They're these flaps that cause your, your veins have to fight against gravity. And, um, you know, your heart, your heart's kind of a pump and it kind of regulates the circulation in your body. Um, every time your heart beats, all of the arteries, the muscles contract to narrow the flow to help move the blood. So basically your, your heart and all of your arteries and everything work together. And then, um, the veins in your leg have to kind of fight against gravity. Um, so they have these one way valves to help get the blood back up, um, you know, back up your legs and up into, uh, your abdomen and to your heart. So by, um, by going upside down, it makes it just a lot easier and it gives, the, oh, sure. you know, it gives those one way valves a, a break. And, um, you know, it also, we have to move in order to, um, move the lymph fluid through our body, which, um, is sort of, you know, because blood, blood's really easy to see. The veins and arteries are really easy to see. So the circulatory system has been really, um, studied very thoroughly. Whereas the lymph, the lymph system, um, because the fluid is, is more clear and it's not, you know, the, the lymph kind of is mysterious. It, hmm. it lives in the interstitial spaces and in the connective tissue. It's kind of, it's kind of like the fascia, you know, people are just starting to really, um, study it and uh, lymph fluid relies on muscular contraction and movement in order to flow properly through the body. Um, so by flipping upside down, you're kind of helping out by letting gravity do some work. And hmm. um, anyway, that's, also, that's the way I, my line of thinking with it. I've also heard that just jumping on one of those small, you know, like a four foot diameter trampoline. Um, yeah, for a the few rebounders minutes, is good for that. Would you You're say really speaking Linnea's language now, John. <laughs> <laughs> <She's also laughs> cool. That seems like like fun too. Yeah, that's like her kind of. Yeah. She'll she'll jump on the trampoline, and then get in her own gym, and flip around in the ceiling, and do some some yoga. And I'll just wow. be like laying on the floor with my feet up the wall the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how well, I can we, read a book upside down. <laughs> what do you guys think about uh other uh self-treatment tools like i don't know if you're familiar with the back knobber it's like an s-shaped uh, very hard plastic tool that you can use to find a pressure point in your back and then kind of oh. put pressure on it there's a little ball in the end um i didn't my, know what's called question, that. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe a brand a brand of it uh. um i'm not sure what the type of tool is called but my curiosity is like do you do you recommend that for people or would you say like help to uh or um try to get a, di a diagnosis from somebody else before you try that so that you're not maybe hitting the wrong place or doing something that's damaging your tissue on accident i mean my opinion is that nothing replaces human touch but definitely mm. 
I think that that also is, can be really useful for people. And if they can find relief from using it and it's helpful, awesome. Keep doing it. And at the same time, if it's something that keeps cropping up and is really causing a problem, I think there's no replacement for having someone else look and evaluate what's going on because there are definitely things that we can't see, especially on your own back. It's, it's mm. difficult. So. Yeah, yeah, there are lots of things like that. They're sort of like self-massagers. You know, there's the, there's the back knobby hook thing, which I think we have one and we've played around with a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I liked it. it was They're little massage good. tools. You can use like a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball, you know, mm-hmm. roll around on it. And that's something mm-hmm. that I made. You, you like tape two lacrosse balls together, so you make kind of like a peanut shape. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you can put it so that one ball's on either side of your spine, mm-hmm. kind of like roll along on the floor. Um I yeah. like the miracle ball even better. The miracle ball is really that. great. Mm. Um, there are these mats. They're 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 like it's like this mat that's about I don't know two foot by four foot, and it's got all these little tiny spikes all over it. Oh yeah, um, I got one. They're of those. like little plastic. You know, they, it looks like almost like a torture device, but <laughs> <laughs> you lay on it, and it stimulates your skin and all the acupuncture points. And um, we actually have experimented with lots of devices like that um, because it's fun and it's a good way to explore your body and, and also because we want to know what works for what and mm. what to recommend to people for self-care. So I think that those kind of things are great. Um, my main advice to people would be to just be careful not to overdo it. Mm. You know, it's easy with that back knobber thing to like start wailing on your back and give yourself a bruise or um, you know, something like that and which is fine, but just that's the main thing. Like start slow and and have try to approach it with, with curiosity and and uh, ease into it and don't overdo it. <laughs> this is coming from sure. someone who sometimes overdoes it. This is something I've had to learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard lesson, you know. Well speaking yeah. of uh like devices actually, there is a um a question in the chat here if you guys use cupping therapy. Yes, definitely. I love cupping therapy. Oh, yeah? I love receiving it, and I love giving it. Um, mm. And are, I'm not sure if you're curious about how it works or... Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so basically, the short way that I describe it to people is that it's kind of like a reverse massage. So if you think mm. about massage, putting pressure into the muscle, this is pulling and creating suction. And it's also a way to pull up. We've been talking about metabolites and sticky tissues. And um, in Chinese medicine, it's very important to have good blood flow. So um, when blood stagnates or when there's blood stasis in the tissues and things aren't moving well, the cupping will create a very dark um, sort of, it looks like a bruise. And it can almost get towards purplish when it's really very been stuck for a long period of time and then slowly as the therapy does its work the marks will get lighter and lighter um, and tend more towards red and pink Um, so this is it it actually can show how severe the blood stagnation is in the area and usually more blood stagnation will mean more pain and on people who have a really severe case, the cupping will actually hurt, especially if it's moving cupping. So we'll use oil, we'll create the suction, and then we'll slide the cup back and forth. Usually on the back is a common place. And 
you know, I've had people really have it really hurt and you have to do it pretty lightly to start if they have a, a lot of stagnation. But on people who don't have so much stagnation, it can feel really good. It can prevent stagnation from building up. Yeah, I really love it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very safe. Um, and it, uh, it feels really good to me. I think some people are really, people have different pain tolerance and sensitivity yeah. and stuff. Go ahead, Linnea. Oh, well, I, I was just going to add it, it stimulates the body to heal the area too. So if you think about a bruise, your body sends in all kinds of, I don't know exactly what I'd have to look at all the scientific names, but cleans up the blood, brings in fresh blood and heals the bruise. So it stimulates a healing response and that's part of the therapeutic effect. And it's really, it's traditionally, it was kind of a home, I think it's kind of a home remedy in China. Like a lot of people know how to do cupping and there's another therapy called gua sha or or scraping, you know, Um, but the, um, and there's been some more modern research done, um, but it's, it's really good for, uh, because it pulls these metabolites out of the muscles and into the space between the muscles and the skin, it helps the body to eliminate them more easily. So it's, mm. it's lactic acid and other things as well. Um, so we commonly do it on our backs a lot because of a Chinese medical theory that, um, you know, pathogens, environmental pathogens invade through the back more commonly. Mm. But, I think in modern times, our backs are, we hold a lot of tension in our backs because mm-hmm. we sit so much and the muscles have to hold a lot. You know, they're, they're just tense most of the time. So there's a buildup over time of, um, lactic acid and, and other metabolites from the muscle contraction. Um, so the cupping both, it pulls the skin layer away from the muscle, which is good. And, you know, if you have adhesions between the skin and the muscle, you ideally you want the um, muscle and you, you want the skin to be able to kind of slide over the, the muscle layer easily. And, and that's with the M-test, going back to the M-test, that has a lot to do with the theory behind the M-test is that the ideally, you know, we have freedom of movement because the skin sort of is like the sheet that moves over the muscles and the muscles move under the skin. And if there are places where the skin is stuck to the muscle layer below it, that that causes a restriction and can interfere with movement. So the cupping, you know, loosens the skin layer from the muscle and it also pulls all the stuff up from the muscles into that space. And then it makes it a lot easier for the body to remove it. Um, and you see, Nowadays, a lot of athletes using it, you know, mm-hmm. probably a lot of, if anybody who watched the Olympics, you probably saw Michael Phelps use it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Japanese or probably mostly Chinese athletes for many years, I think, you know, they have these kind of round purple things. They look like they got attacked by a giant octopus or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, they do it to speed recovery, mm. you know, so they, they're in the pool all day swimming and they get out of the pool at night and maybe something sore and they get a massage and they put the cups on, um, to pull this stuff out of their muscle so that their muscle can recover faster. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you can learn how to do it at home. Um, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to put any acupuncturists out of, 
a job. And um, if you do have an acupuncturist, you can ask them about this, but um, they do sell pretty basic, simple cupping sets on uh, Amazon and um, there are videos on YouTube, like lots of things. And it's not something that's regulated by any kind of laws that I'm aware of. So at least not the uh, pump cups or the silicone cups. Yeah, yeah there are several different kinds. There are yeah. different ones. Like we're trained to do fire cupping in acupuncture school, which uh, is a little bit more involved. And also it creates a warming effect when you're doing it. But it's not necessary to have the warming effect, but it's nice. <laughs> so if you want to try it at home, I would say, you know, you can get a set of cups on Amazon or somewhere. There are there's, uh, pump cups where there's like a pump gun and they're plastic or glass. And you put the cup on and, and uh, pump the gun and it sucks the air out. And they have silicone ones you can squeeze, put down, and then let go. And it's- yeah, you like press it down on the body surface. So, so it's the same kind of thing with the other self-treatment tools. In, in this case, you probably need help, but do your research. Yeah, no, I have start slow. I have one patient who does cupping on herself regularly as a self-care. It's almost between treatments. started to be a cool thing. Actually, we <laughs> we when we were at the airport, I think on the way over here, we saw somebody who had cupping marks on their on her back. I don't know. You know, who knows why, but I was like, oh, yeah, they're really easy to spot because they're cir- yeah. perfectly circular. Yeah. Little Guys, we actually have a call. Um, do you want to take a question? Sure. All sure. right. Awesome. Hello, caller. Hello, caller. You, you are on the air. Hello. Oh, 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 I had to turn you your, um, oh. we're, we're, your volume, volume down, down on your... Uh, I'm going. Uh, on my microphone? No, on, no, on, on the uh, speaker. speaker. Okay. Is that better? Or if you have, a, if you have headphones? headphones? Yeah, I've got headphones on. Hang on a second. <laughs> we'll make it work. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Okay. That's better. No echo. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, Hi. So basically, I just wanted to give some sort of anecdotal evidence for cupping. Um, I did a quick course uh, about six months ago and then I bought a set of um, pump cups and basically um, sometimes I do care work so I'm often overstretching, overreaching, bending down to pick things up. Um, So I, I felt like I, it wasn't like a major injury, I think I just overstretched and basically my shoulder was aching and it was kind of going up into my neck. Um, so I asked uh, my partner to put all these cups all over my back um, and give a little a quick massage first. And they went very dark in colour um, mm-hmm. and they were quite um, not sore, but they were tender for like the day after. But then mm-hmm. after that, the pain in my shoulder and neck had completely gone. Um, yeah. So I was just I was amazed. I really was. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was it really. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot for calling and sharing. Yeah. sharing your story. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, thank you guys for doing this show. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Uh, I had a similar experience at the first. We've also got a set of those little silicone kind of push button cups, and uh, we'll like kind of rub coconut oil on the skin first, and then do that so the suction is better, and then you can move it around. Yeah. Um, but the first time I did it, it hurt, like insert expletive here, you know, uh, and it, it uh, left really black circles. Um, 
And so I'm sure wow. that it would, there was a lot of badness in there. But the, uh, subsequently, since then, it's gotten much better and better. And now I can do it where there's no pain, um, and it'll just create kind of like a, you know, I guess reddish, pinkish uh, circle. So yeah, yeah, totally. That's a very that. typical like progression. That's great. You've done it long enough to see the the changes. And you don't have to do, you know, for anyone out there who's never tried cupping and you're thinking about trying it. You don't have to do a, a no pain, no gain approach. No, you know? no. Yeah. You can always <laughs> ease off on the, the mm. suction a little bit. I just bit. had a patient last week, you know, in Rhode Island who it was very painful. She she was kind of off the mm. table, couldn't, you know, bear it. And it was very easy for me to lighten the pressure, and then she enjoyed it more. Mm. And it's it's easy to kind of work your way up and do it that way. Mm. Very cool. I find with the with the cupping, uh, just to quickly give my experience, I yep. I really like the pain aspect of it. Like sometimes <laughs> when I'm laying on the table, <laughs> Me too. and 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 we've we've got the pump cups, and uh, and on the <laughs> on the um on the little sheet that comes with the cups, it says that you shouldn't use any more than two pumps. But sometimes um, I actually I like to have three pumps, like in the bottom of my back. This is like a confession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I I go there and um and it really hurts. But you know, sometimes like it feels like an elephant's on my back, and I leave it there yeah. for like ten or fifteen minutes. But it's just utterly bliss. It's it's absolutely yeah. amazing. I mean, there's no way that I think I could ever get that from a standard massage because oh, it's totally. just a completely crazy sensation and yeah. there's nothing quite like it. So I'm I'm a massive proponent of of that. Yeah. I think it's really good that, that you guys incorporate that into your practice. Totally. I definitely encourage people to kind of push their edge a little bit because you will see more results when you when you get that little bit of oh, it feels <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing that doing that with hanging too, where I push it out, you know, do five minutes and then do ten, and then you know maybe just put on a podcast or something and try to see how long it can go. Um, and yeah, it's it's fascinating. But that said, Jonathan, you are also a guy who is kind of uh, has a history of maybe yeah. doing things a little bit. Yeah, so. James, you have kindred spirits in that regard. <laughs> yeah, we're we're comrades yeah. there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had to kind of slowly teach myself, like, oh, okay, my body actually likes it better if I make you know small incremental changes instead of um, right. uh, you know I think I'll go I'll go to CrossFit twice tomorrow <laughs> and twice yeah. a day after that. And, you know yeah. can't walk for two weeks. Yeah. Anyway. More is always mm-hmm. better, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if cupping is good, then I should have cups on my back all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Ten pumps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, do you guys have uh, do you have anything that you'd like to uh, promote? Uh, just uh, your your practice or a website or anything that you would recommend that our listeners check out. I wish I still. I wish I had my website up. It's, it's still in progress. Um, I. I do have a Instagram account that I keep up. Um, it's called Moontime Medicine, and okay. I do enjoy posting there. And I do talk about, or you know, there are little bits of information about my practice, or about things that I'm experimenting with, or that I find useful, or self-care practices, that kind of thing that I post there. And um, I am currently working at Keystone Family Acupuncture in Rhode Island. Um, cool. So. That's it for me for now, but more to come. <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah, was it Moon uh, Moon Time Medicine? Sorry. Yeah, Moon Time Medicine. I I've been kind of focused on women's health, and so Moon Time is a way to refer to menstrual period. And sure, I have uh, I've diverged from that. It's not completely focused on that, so it's great for men and women. But there's definitely I don't know, maybe a third of the posts are about you know remedies for menstrual cramps or other uh, women's health related topics. Yeah, and then you also take pictures. You talk about herb, Chinese herbs, and formulas, and other things too. Yeah. So, gua sha. That was one of your most popular posts so far. <laughs> that one went viral. I did gua sha on Linnea and took a picture of it, and she picked up, I don't know, thirty followers or something. Oh wow! Um, people cool. liked to, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, I I have. Uh, um, I have a personal website that I haven't, I'm ashamed to say I haven't updated for a long time, uh, jameslevinsky.com, um, that I need to update. And I have some other projects I'm working on, but I don't have anything to promote right now, maybe in the future. Um, and I'm looking for, uh, I have some leads in, in Rhode Island. Um, so I'll probably be setting up shop soon, but, um, Eventually, we're hoping to open a clinic together. So we're kind of mm-hmm. getting a couple years' experience in separate clinics and seeing what we like and don't like, and then we'll we'll move forward from there. So James is working cool. on a, a website too that's for uh, hair mineral analysis, which is something also interesting, a totally different topic. But there may be some kind of link or posting about that on his personal website in the near future. Yeah, cool. But James, what was your site again? The URL. Uh, JamesLevinsky.com. Levinsky is L-O-V-I-N-S-K-Y. Um, yeah, people are going to go on there and see <laughs> a couple old posts about acupuncture, and there's like a uh, uh, an updated RSS feed for SOT.net at the bottom, uh, <laughs> like a weird a weird picture of me because I haven't updated it with my professional photos yet. Right. Well, maybe but, we can um, motivate you. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm motivated now. Next, <laughs> next week when I get home, that's definitely getting yeah. updated. So, so wait, wait until next week to look at it. Yeah. Listeners, be thank you very much. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for asking, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're at a good place to to wrap it up. It's been a great show. Thank you guys very much. It's really fascinating. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Great. You guys really asked great questions, and yeah. Well, you guys are very well informed, so it's yeah. it's good to pick your brains about stuff. Right. Yeah, I know. It's you know I've been uh, thinking for some time that I really needed to actually start acupuncture in earnest, and so this is probably the the turning point for me. I'm gonna make some it motivation for you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get our totally. websites running. And you can try some. Yeah. <laughs> so one parting piece of advice is um, that just like you would, if you were gonna start. Uh, psychotherapy or, or, you know, see a therapist, um, you'd want to take your time and find somebody that you jive with, you know, try out Mm. a couple people, find someone who has a, you know, if you're into, if you're more of into an, like a cognitive behavioral therapy approach or a Jungian approach. So take your time, try to, if you have options, you know, shop around a little bit because it matters a lot who the therapist is, which I'm sure you know that, but 
Yeah. Anyway. Are there uh, are there any uh, credentials that you'd recommend kind of keeping an eye out for or a specific school? Yeah, ask like that? you know, ask where they went to school if they're in the if you're in the United States. How much training? I mean, so some people take very you know, weekend courses or 30-hour mm. courses, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, if they're in if they're in the United States and they're a licensed acupuncturist, you could um, you know, uh, then they have a lot of training. <clears throat> Um, sure. Sometimes, uh, yeah. So there's, um, you can look on. There's a national accrediting body called uh, it's NCCAOM, um, which I am forgetting the what the acronym stands for right now. But on their website, there's a find a practitioner page. Um, okay. And awesome. so that's the main. You know, you can you can look on that website. If you find them through that website, then they'll be very well-trained and credentialed. Um, most states, if you search for, you know, acupuncture, uh, Michigan, then there's probably a, uh, acupuncture association in Michigan. You could go to their page or email them or call them and they could recommend someone in your area. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or you well, just, have, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, um, Liz, Liz Rasa was on our show before I actually lives oh, yeah, uh, in the same area. So I, I'm, I've got oh, cool. that nailed down, but you're for our listeners, of course, if you're, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners live like closer to like a metro area. They probably have a mm-hmm. lot of options available. I would admit, I don't know what a lot is, you know, 20, 30, 40 acupuncturists in, in any given, say like Houston or Los Angeles or something like that sure. or, or more. Definitely so varies by state. Yeah. But yeah. How to choose. That'd be, um, you know, I, I would pick pick a couple and call and, um, you know, see what the front desk person is like, drop well, by the shop. So, well, some people um, will offer a free initial 30-minute sort of consult to get to know whether it's a fit. Mm. But mm-hmm. not, a, sure. not all good practitioners necessarily <laughs> offer that. So I think in, sure. in countries besides the United States, sometimes it's not uh, like in the U.K., for instance – it's not regulated the same way. So uh, that's, you know, it'd be more important to ask what kind of training they've had and where they went to school, sure. that kind of stuff. Sure. In the, in the U S you have to get a license from the state. So, um, just right. make sure they're licensed, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the main credential. Yeah. Right. And common sense. Which, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then follow your gut. Yeah. 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 And if you have a bad experience, that doesn't mean that, you know, or if it, if the treatment that they give you doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean that acupuncture doesn't work. It means that that person didn't work for you. So it's worth trying, you know, give it five or 10 treatments um, before you sure. give up on it, I would say. Cool. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it. Uh, thanks again. Uh, and I, I guess let's, uh, we'll just wrap it up. So I hope everybody that has, has a really good weekend and thank you for participating in the chat. Uh, those who did and, uh, be sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday, noon Eastern time. Uh, go to radio.sot.net uh, for your local airtime there. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.